Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. Um, you can find your seats. We try to take an extended time just to welcome one another, and especially with weather stuff, it's good to do that later in the service than right at the beginning, just so you can get to know people. So that's why we do it. Um, just a couple of quick things. We did mention the live page, which all the scriptures we'll use this morning will be there. And so if there's something that really pricks your heart as you read through the scriptures and you want to go back and look at those, you forget which one it was, you can always go to our, our live page and find that during the week. Those don't get changed until the following Sunday. So those scriptures are there for you to use during the week. And then also with our registration, we also have a, a card too, for those of you who aren't digital. We have a connection card that you can fill out at the offering box, put any prayer requests or write your information uh, so we can uh, get in contact with you, so we can, like Luke said, encourage you in any way we can um, here at, at FX Church. Um, and since there's a lot of new faces, I'm Matt. I'm the senior pastor here, the lead pastor, and um, we, uh, we love serving people. We love serving our community. This past uh, Friday night, there was a block party here, and we got to serve as a church and serve the kids that were here from the community. That was a blast. It was fun. Got to know a lot of IU college students who were here serving and got to hear their stories and share with some of them, which was really neat. So that's just what we try to do. We try to be really engaging in our community and, and with people. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, we've been in there. We started last week in our new series. Uh, we'll be in chapter two of Ruth. Um, and this, the title of our series, uh, which I think is really unique, is, is a Redeemer Love. Redeemer Love. It's the idea that throughout history, God has sent redeemers. He sends these people to redeem other people, right? He, he sends us help because he knows that we need it. And the book of Ruth is really a book that kind of, it just kind of shows how God just continues to send redeemers to love his people all the way through scripture. He constantly is reaching out to humanity when, let's be honest, we don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We do not deserve to have a God who cares about us because of how we treat him and how we go our own way and how we do our own thing and we don't care what he has to say most of the time. Most of the days that, if you're honest, you get up, go to work, you do your thing and you never checked in with God what you should have been doing that day. You didn't ask, you didn't care, you just did your day. I mean, can you imagine doing that in a marriage where you just do your own thing and the other person does your, their own thing and and, you know, you look at each other after a few months, and you're like, who are you? Like, and that happens all the time in our culture, and yet that's the relationship that God's people chose to have with him. They chose to rebel. They chose to go the opposite way, and instead of trusting in his ability to sustain them, to redeem them, to give them life, they decided they could get a better life, get a better deal than what God had to offer. And when they chose that route, the rest of human history is being written. And it's a history of war and murder and selfishness and greed, but also a history of God continuing to send pictures of himself through people in Scripture, Moses, Abraham, people that would have faith in him, that would say no to the mess they were in and yes to the God who could do something about it. And that, that's the story of Scripture from beginning to end. It doesn't change, and it's not going to change. And so this morning, as we dive into Ruth chapter 2, I want to give us a reminder of last week. And this morning's message is going to be, who is this? Who is this redeemer? How do I know this person who says they want to be a redeemer, or maybe they are a redeemer? How do I know they're not deceiving me? How do I know they're not tricking me? How do, I, how do we know if someone is truly a redeemer, someone who wants to buy back people with God's heart versus a slave trader who buys people for their own use and gain, which we see all in our world right now with human trafficking, where they deceive these young women, they deceive these young people and tell them there's a better life for you, and then they get there and find out, oh my goodness, I've been sold into slavery. I thought I was getting redemption, and now I'm getting nothing but worse than I ever thought it could be. And if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap. If we don't ask, who is this? Who am I really believing in? How can I tell we're going to be in the same mess? And as you read through Scripture, God lovingly gives us pictures of what it should look like. And in the book of Ruth, we talked about this last week. It's not much different than our time period. Ruth was written during the time of the Judges. Judges 21, 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sound familiar? Everybody just figure what you believe is what you want to believe, what you believe, and we can't judge each other. Just, just figure it out. Do what you think's right. What if I think's right is punching you in the nose? Who are you to say that's wrong? I decided it was right. 
And I get a lot of joy out of punching people in the nose. Makes me feel good. Like it really, you know, boom, I feel so much better because you're bleeding and I'm not. Ha ha. And I walk away. Well, if everybody just does what's right in their own eyes, then you can't judge me. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Well, but you hurt someone. We hurt everybody every day, <laughs> right? You go to work, guess what? Your boss hurts you, right? <laughs> You're going to do your work. It's going to hurt. You're gonna... It's the way it goes. It's life. And so here we are in the time of the judges, and it's no different. And during the time of the judges, what God did is he sent judges. He sent people constantly to his people to say, wake up, wake up. And it says there was, there was no king in Israel. In other words, there was nobody in charge. And no one would submit to anyone anyway, which is why he had to send judges. You want to know why the Supreme Court is so important in our country and why we're so concerned about who gets on it? Because we're living in this time. Because we've given up on actually submitting to one another, caring about one another. We just go to the judges and say, you decide and we'll do it. That's this time period. It's nothing new under the sun. Thousands of years ago, same scenario. No different, same humans, same heart as this time. And now we find this person, Ruth, a woman. Why in the world would God write when all the world religions at the time despised, put women lower than everyone else, God chooses to raise a woman up as the ultimate example of a redeemer in Scripture? Don't miss that. This book is sandwiched in a place where there is no king and then it's like you're reading along and you're seeing this and it's, it's Moses, it's Joshua, it's all these people and all of a sudden Ruth. And you're like, what? If you were an Israelite reading this and you, you Ruth, a woman, really? God could do something? So you think women's rights a new issue? Nope, not new. We try to create all these new things to make excuses. Well, it's just so new. It's so different. So it's, you know, God just has to understand the mess I'm in. It's the same mess. It hasn't changed. It's just we're too lazy to read it. We're too lazy to study it, to understand it, to understand that God's been trying to do the same thing. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. And he's like, man, I want you to know this. And so what happens? There was a famine in the land. You see, in the Old Testament, the way God told his people under the covenant that he would get their attention is he said to them, there are going to be times when there's going to be famines, there's going to be floods, there's going to be pestilence, you're going to be barren in the womb because I'm trying to get your attention. Not every time, but there are these tests, there are these times when God says, oh, really, you love me, you care about me, really? Okay, let's, let's test that. There's a whole book called Job on it, Right? If you don't know the book of Job, it is a sad book. <laughs> it is a book of just a guy that God calls him righteous, a good man. And he's like, Satan comes along and says, let me test him. And he'll curse you. God's like, okay. Because he knows Job won't. And Job loses everything except the one person in his life that when I read the story, I wish God would have taken. And that was his wife. <laughs> who three times told Job to curse God and die. At least his friends were there encouraging. She's like, I'm not even encouraging you. Just curse God and die so I can be you know, a widow. I mean, if I would have been Job, I would have been like, could you take her and give me a son back or somebody? But see, God does that because he says, are you willing to follow me even when it's hard? Easy to say we're a believer. Easy to say, to, to say God is good when good things are going on. Much harder to say God is good and believe in a heavenly father when you're on a cross. And you understand that the mission of the world was to give your life so that people could be redeemed. Because there's no other way to buy people back than to carry their justice on you. And Jesus knew that. And so here you have Ruth. There was a famine in the land. So there's a famine. We talked about what happened. This woman, Naomi, right? She married Elimelech and they traveled and left the promised land, to go to, to Moab to try to find food. And they were there for 10 years. And then they have two sons, and their sons' names mean terrible things. Basically, it's like sickness and death are their sons' names. Been, their sons may have been sickly. May, and so here's what happens. Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons die. And now you have Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, two daughters-in-law and, and Naomi, who are stuck in Moab. Okay, Ruth is a Moabitess. And we said last week, if you remember, a Moabitess was a woman. She came from the tribe. Her family line went back to this guy named Lot. And she could trace all the way back to where her great, 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 however back grandmother was. Well, that was Lot's daughter 
two daughters who got their dad drunk and slept with him so they could get pregnant so they could have a male heir. That's Ruth's family heritage. You think you got it bad? Moabitess. That's, I mean, it was, they were despicable. And, and Israel was supposed to have nothing to do with the Ammonites or the Moabites because of their wickedness. Okay? Unless a Moabite or an Ammonite would leave everything, leave their heritage, their family, and commit fully to God, then they were to be treated as one of the children in the Old Testament. And that's what Ruth does. This is what Ruth says. Naomi's depressed. She thinks God's out to get her. She's bitter. And Ruth replies, don't persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. Naomi says, you don't want the life that's ahead of you. You don't want to go to Israel and be treated as, in racism as a Moabitess. You don't want to go with me, an old woman. You still have a young life. You still have life ahead of you. Just go back to your Moabite gods. Just go back to it all. Naomi is so depressed. She's telling someone not to follow God. Maybe you've been there before. I don't know. But that's where Naomi is. Naomi's at a place where she's so done with life. And so here's Ruth saying, look, I will. She goes, for wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. This is crazy. This is a young woman who has her life ahead of her and she decides to take care of an old woman. She decides to give her life to be a redeemer to Naomi, to travel back, probably in shame because they left to go get food and now God's blessing his people so now they have to go back and kind of eat crow. And they have no husbands, which in that culture they would look at them and say, oh, God must be really bad. He must be really getting you. Like, you know, because... You don't have any male heirs. You didn't have any grandkids. Man, barrenness, that's a sign that God just doesn't love you, doesn't care about you. You must have done something really bad and wicked. And they have no idea the story that God is setting up for all of human history through this woman, through this, this simple commitment that she makes to say, you know what, I'm committed. Doesn't matter, listen, doesn't matter if the rest of the culture and the world around me does what's right in their own eyes, I'm gonna do what's right by you and by God, period. Period. Doesn't matter what they did to me. Doesn't matter what he did to me, she did to me, what they did to me. This is between God and my responsibility to love you. And I'm going to give my life to it. And it's going to cost me. And I get it. See, for her to leave her Moabite gods meant she was adopting over 600 laws in the Old Testament. She was going to adopt an entire new system of how to do finances, calendar. Her entire life was going to be turned upside down and she was going to be in a foreigner in a land she had never lived in. This was no small commitment. And she's doing it for a woman who's cursing God and bitter. You know, yesterday I was at a funeral, a funeral for my uncle. And my uncle was a godly man. Um, musician, uh, played organ for the Colorado Rockies, um, did the uh, Palladium and Carmel, did their big 9-11 um, 10-year anniversary with a huge choir and orchestra and, and conducted that and just an incredible man. And as we talked through his life and as he passed away, it was the last few years of his life, he was in constant pain, constant pain in multiple ways. Multiple illnesses. He had an infection, a staph infection that wouldn't go away for years and his joints and his body was breaking down and he had nothing left. And, and the pastor was talking about him coming into their staff meeting at the church he served and she could see him struggling to get in and then he would sit in the chair and you could hear him sigh from the pain and then a smile would just come across his face. He was a man of impeccable joy when you met him or you were around him. A laugh that was just contagious. Belly laugh that was just, an, and, and they talked about this story that I didn't know. They talked about that at the end of his life, he would go while he lived in Carmel and he would go to a retirement home. He is a professional world-class musician and he would go every week to a retirement home and he would play the piano for the people in the retirement home and the care facility every week. It was his, one of his favorite things to do just to go and play for them and serve them and love them. Little did he know he was going to be in that facility in the last days of his life. Little did he know that by going there and doing that, there was going to be a man that 
he laid beside as he was dying, who he was going to lead to Jesus. A man who now knows a Savior that he didn't know because of my uncle who simply was doing Ruth stuff, living a simple life, being committed to people, loving people above themselves, giving their life away, serving others to the glory of God and serving their family so that we could have a celebration at the end of his life, that there was no doubt where he's at right now and, 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 the, and the celebration that is his life and the life he gave to make Christ known because we know. You don't think he had it hard? He had a son who as a teenager got involved with the occult. To this day, they don't know if it was a murder or a framed suicide. They found his journals and it talked about, I'm trying to get out, I'm trying to get away, and they keep threatening my family. They're going to kill my daughters or my sisters. I don't know what to do is what his journal said. And one morning they woke up and he wasn't there and they went to the park and he was dead with a bullet wound to his head. And my uncle still had joy. And he still followed God. And he still cried out to his Savior because he knew he needed a Redeemer. And he knew everyone needed a redeemer and his son needed a redeemer and that we have to find hope in Christ because that's where he found it. He did not live an easy life. But he was faithful to the end and that is Ruth that we read about. It goes on, it says this, Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, is the birth of place of Jesus. Bethlehem, if you didn't know this, because um, most people don't, uh, Bethlehem, it, it's kind of the city of bread. That's what it's kind of called, the city of substance or bread. So that they're going to the city of bread. And it says, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, it's easy to skip over this because most of you don't farm, right? Most of you don't even grow a garden because it's pointless. But anyway, um, like us. Um, and, and so we've tried three times and we've given up. We've decided Kroger will garden for us. And so we're grateful. If we have to garden, we'll do it. But we choose not to. Um, the last time I plowed all my wife's strawberries because I was going to till the garden for her. And all the strawberries got, if you don't know strawberries, you got to leave them in the, like you don't till, you leave them. They, yeah, I, I just got rid of them. So anyway, um, so needless to say, they come back, Naomi's depressed, and they're at the beginning of one of the greatest festivals in Israel. The barley harvest was the beginning of the festivals for the year. Like this was the moment where winter had been dead right? You'd gone through winter. You haven't had any crops. You wonder if you're going to get that first fruit, that first beginning of the barley. And if you do, you know you can feed your livestock because barley typically they fed the livestock with, but they would also bake it for themselves and have it. But it's a, it's a really hard, you know, substance. It's, it's like rye bread, right? Like that's barley. And so here you have the barley harvest. Naomi is bitter. She's mad. She has no grandchildren. She has no other children than these two mother and she comes and a party's going on in the city that's called the bread of life city can you imagine I left 10 years ago because of a famine and now I'm coming back and nobody cares about me they don't understand what I've been through they have no idea what's happened to me I don't even know why it's happened to me did we make a bad decision 10 years ago who knows and this is what she walks into and that's sometimes what people walk into in church. You look around and you see smiling faces and happy people and you think, nobody understands. Nobody gets me. They have no idea. That would have been Naomi. But you would have thought that about my uncle too. And you saw him smiling, writhing in pain. They showed his last concert that he gave at the church and directed. He couldn't even barely stand up from behind the organ as he directed the choir because of the pain. And he was still smiling. And singing praises. Humbling to me. Where's that heart for me when I'm in pain? And that's Naomi. And it says there's a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. So here's the deal. Boaz, they come to town and there's this righteous guy, Boaz. Now if God calls someone in scripture a man of noble character, that's kind of important. God mentions a lot of people in scripture and he doesn't say anything about them. He just says their names, right? Like lineages and you know, name, name. He purposely says this Boaz dude, he's like amazing noble character. Like this guy's awesome. So you need to pay attention when you see that 
Don't just skip over. Oh, yeah, a nice guy with great character. No, this is the time period when everybody was doing right in their own eyes. And God says, but there was a guy, Boaz. So now you have a Ruth, right, who isn't living like everybody else. And you have a Boaz who's not living by anybody else. And they've now traveled after winter, coming to the end of winter in the first harvest. And like I said last week, it's like the Hallmark movies getting ready to happen right here, right? This, this is the Hallmark movie moment. You know, Boaz and here's Ruth coming and they're widows because they never get divorced in Hallmark movies. They're always widows. And he's the prominent business owner of the town and here they come together, you know? And you're reading the story, and it says he was from Elimelech, so he's actually even in the family line here. It's amazing to me when you look at this because this wasn't by, listen, tune in. This wasn't by accident that all this is happening at this moment. See, here's your problem and my problem. We don't believe in divine providence. We believe in divine providence when we want to do something we know God doesn't want us to do, right? Oh, God's going to take care of it. I can do whatever the heck I want, and God's just going to love me. He's going to give me grace. He's going to be awesome. But the second things don't work out like we want, we're like, God, you're terrible. You're awful. I can't trust you. You're a terrible human. I mean, you're just all over the place. You see, divine providence is admitting God is sovereign. I'm not. He's actually Lord of the universe, of life. That when other people are celebrating, I can celebrate with them because of who he is, not because of what's happened to me. Because it doesn't matter what's happened to me or hasn't happened to me. He's worth it. There's a bigger plan. There's a bigger play going on. That's exactly what's going on here. God is working all of this out in this moment. Let me explain to you why. In Leviticus chapter 23. In chapter 23 of Leviticus, God is laying out the calendar plan of how he wants his people for all their generations to do life. He is laying it out clear for them. He's saying, here's how I want you to put reminders in your schedule, right? So that you remember me because you're forgetful. And you'll forget that I have divine providence. You'll forget that I've been working for thousands of years and I'm gonna continue to work. So I'm gonna ask you to actually organize your life around me. And it's gonna work better for you if you do that. And so he lays it out in Leviticus. He's, he talks about the Passover lamb. He says, you were delivered from Egypt. They put blood over the doorpost. Their firstborn weren't killed, but the Egyptians were because they wouldn't believe in God. God warned them. He said, listen, I'm warning you. I'm coming and death is coming with me. The firstborn are gonna be dead. Please, please cover your children. Cover your door. You need the covering of the blood of God on your life. Sound familiar? That's Jesus. It's a picture of Christ. So he says, you've got this Passover where you sacrifice it. You're going to have to do this every year. And he gives them the date and the month. Then he says, right after that, you're going to have the festival of unleavened bread. That's this feast where you don't put any yeast in the bread. And it was the idea of thinking about, oh, wait, God provided an escape. I don't have to die. And he's asked me now to clean the sin out of my life because leavened in the Old Testament, the yeast causes things to ferment and grow. So he says, you're going to have unleavened, unyeast bread, like little crackers. <laughs> and you're going you're to do that. And as you do it, you're going to clean your houses out of all the yeast. And it's supposed to remind you to clean your heart out that if you know that you've been forgiven and covered, then you're going to take some time to reflect on your life and go, man, what? If I believe that, am I willing to like allow God to clean me up? Because I'm going to need some help. And I'm going to open every drawer and every cabinet and sweep it all out and get it all out because I don't want to hide anything from this incredible God who gave everything to me and delivered me from slavery and death and the mess of this world that I'm in. So that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then right after that, it said, when you enter the land I'm giving you, and reap its harvest. You're to bring the first sheave of your harvest to the priest. This is the barley harvest. And he says, look at this. He will wave the sheaf before the Lord so you may be accepted. The priest is to wave it on that day after the Sabbath. Then he says, goes on and says, Offer a year-old male lamb without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord with the grain offering. You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or any new grain until this very day and until you've brought this offering to your God. See, here's my problem. Here's your problem. I want all the blessings of God, but I don't want him to mess with my life. 
I want him to be Savior, but I want nothing to do with him being Lord. I want you to save me. I want you to get me out of all my messes that I continue to choose to do, but I want nothing to do with giving you authority over my schedule and over my finances and over my relationships because those are mine. And you don't get, you don't get the right to come into my house and clean those places up. I put blood on the doorpost outside. That's good enough. Doors are shut. You don't get in. And God's like, no, I want to commune with you. I want to eat with you. I want a relationship with you. I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside with you. I want to show you that you're loved, that you're cared for. I want to help you clean the mess up that you've made and that that was done to you. That's what I want to do. He goes on and he, he lays all this out. And he says this. This is to be a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. Doesn't matter if you're in the promised land or not. And he says, you are to count seven complete weeks starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf and the presentation offering, the barley harvest. He says, you are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. He says... This is what you're supposed to, and then he goes on, he says, then, there's in, then in the fall, there's the day of atonement, where you atone for the sins that you've committed since then. And then the festival of booze, where you go out and you build a little booth and you put a hole in the top and you eat and think God's gonna come through and he's gonna sup with us, he's gonna eat with us and he wants to commune with us. And then he goes on and he says, so that your generations may know that I made, I made the Israelites live in booze when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Who is this? This is the God of the universe. That's who it is. And Ruth understood that and Boaz understood it and that's why their lives were starkly different than the people's lives in the world they lived in because they got this and Boaz understood the barley harvest. He was a man of noble character which means he was obeying all of this when nobody else probably was, when they didn't care about what God said or his law said. You might ask, why don't we do these things today? Why don't we do all this? Well, number one, we don't have to sacrifice anymore because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. That's what the New Testament says. Now we don't sacrifice. You know what we do? We give willingly. It's not a sacrifice. I'm just grateful. And I hear so many Christians say, it's just such a sacrifice. You know what I never heard my uncle say? Just such a sacrifice. And he had every right to say it was a sacrifice. And he never said that. It was a joy for him to serve. It wasn't a sacrifice. And see, that's the beauty of this passage. It's like, and you realize that someday when you read the book of Revelation, that we're going to need to kind of know this because it's going to be happening like when we get there. And in heaven, these feasts and these things are going to be going on. Like, do you realize that? Like, like we're going to celebrate all these things and all God did for all of human history and look back on it and be like, this is awesome. And we don't even read it. It's just a boring Old Testament. Doesn't mean anything. I just want to get to the good stuff that tells me how loved I am and how I have a Savior. I don't want to, none of that Lord stuff, none of that got to deal with stuff. I just, you see, it's both. When you go into a marriage with someone, you get it all, right? Most of it you don't know you're getting, right? You wake up one day and you're like, I had no idea I was getting that. I might have rethought this. It's the same way. When we start a relationship with God, it's that willingness to say, I'm willing. Look at what John says, or what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. Why? Because you've seen me. I and the Father are one, he says. You see, here's what we like. I am the life. You can get to the Father through me. Jesus also says in another place, if you know me, you'll obey my commands. If you truly know me, you'll want to follow me because you'll want what I have, the fruit that I have for your life. See, I'm I'm in the place where oftentimes I'm looking and I'm like, well, I want the life, but I don't want the truth in the way. It's hard. Can I just get the life? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to give you the life, but I'm giving you back life to stay on this earth. I didn't suck you up into heaven because I want you to be the truth and the way to other people. That's what he's doing, and he lays this out. 
He says, this is who I am. Who is this guy that claims that he's God? Who is this person who claims that they're the redeemer? It's Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. He goes on and says this. In Leviticus 23, there's this little word, and this is why I read it to you, because this is the rest of the story that we read in chapter two. It's beautiful. Look at this. People skip over it if you're reading it, but it's essential. It says this. Leviticus 23, 22. So when you reap the harvest of your land, You are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings, that's the leftovers, of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I'm Yahweh, your God. You will do this because I care about even the foreigner and the outsider. And you will provide for them and you will love them and you will care for them. You are not some special proud people. I'm what make you a special proud people. And if you forget this, you're going to bring curses on yourself. And so when we get to the next part of the story in Ruth, Boaz is a guy that does this. Do you realize this is a loss of profit? This is not the Dave Ramsey, every dollar has a name. This is leaving dollars in the field on the ground. Dave Ramsey would be a little offended by that. Just say it. Does Dave have some great principles? Absolutely. But he's got some that I look at and I go, How did, where's this part? Where's the part where you just trust God and you don't glean to the edges? What if it's a bad harvest year and you're like barely getting anything? Do you then take the gleaning? No, I leave them. Because God said to. It's not about me and my family and mine. It's about that there may be someone God wants me to provide for. I better leave some leftovers. We live in a culture full of debt. We, we won't even provide for ourselves, which means we don't even have anything to provide for other people. And God's like, you need to be sure you have some leftover to provide for others if you can, but you may be poor. And God says he uses the poor and humble of this world to humble us all, to bring down the prideful like the Israelites. That you're going to remind yourself that when you see all those poor people out gleaning, it's going to break your heart. And your response to that's going to be important. You're not going to go, look at all those poor people. You know, I'm an awesome guy. I left some gleanings for them. I'm a pretty good guy, aren't I? No, you go out and interact with them. You talk to them, you help them. That's what we get ready to see Boaz does. See, Boaz was a righteous man who obeyed Leviticus 23. He understood the purpose of the law, that it was to point to a redeemer, to a savior. The lamb was to a savior. The first fruits were to a savior. All the day of atonement, everything we just read in Leviticus 23 is about the ultimate savior of Jesus. These things won't save you. You have to keep making sacrifices every year. It's not enough. But whenever you make a sacrifice, you're declaring, God, I need you more than this. And that's the point. If we did that in our relationship, I need you more than I need this person or this thing. I need you and however you tell me I need to respond to the world around me, I'll do it. Even if it costs me my future and my life. I'll give it. Can we just say we've lost that? We're living in the judges where it's everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Says this, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, the bitter old woman. They're living there. Naomi's probably sitting in her room. Everybody's out there having a party. They're at the harvest and gathering a first fruit. And here I am. All my family's dead. And woe is me. And she's obviously not going out to try to harvest, right? Because she probably was a well-to-do woman and now she's poor. She's looking around going, never thought I'd end up here. And Ruth doesn't look at her and go, no, Naomi, you big moron. Get out here and work with me. That's not what she says. Ruth looks and says, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain? behind someone who allows me to. Do you hear the humility in that? Will you let me? Do you you think your people would would let me? Do you you think if I went, there'd be somebody from your people that would believe what you've told me before it got bad? Like, do you think they'll they'll let me? Not, well, I demand. I'm an American citizen. I should have whatever I want. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take what's mine. Isn't that what we hear today on both sides of the aisle? How dare you take what's mine? Who, who gave you breath today? Because my, my uncle doesn't have a breath today. God took it from him because it was time for him to go home. And we're grateful because he's not in pain. He's not breathing and sighing in pain. 
He's now sighing and singing in praise to his God. You look at this and he says, look at this. Naomi's answered her, go ahead, my daughter. <laughs> I read into this. I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't. But I hear like, go ahead, whatever. Like that's what I hear. You know, it's not like, oh yes, I would love for you to do that to provide for me so I can eat. It's like, go ahead. And then it goes on. It says, Naomi answered her, go ahead. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. Now check this out. She happened, she happened, just happened, right? This is divine providence. This is how God does things. When we are faithful in little ways and we step out in faith and we humble ourselves to other people instead of trying to be somebody, God steps in and does amazing, miraculous stuff. But he doesn't do it if we're trying to be prideful and be out front. He looks and Naomi, she goes, so she goes and says, she happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. This is like you go to work tomorrow. Your CEO, your boss comes down. And he's like, man, Jesus Christ, bless you, love you guys. You guys are awesome. And you guys are like, we love you too, boss. This is great. That's this story. They love serving together. Like, they're like, Lord bless you, bless you too. Like, this is, we're just celebrating, God's provided. We're, we're, we're gathering in this great, we have a job, we got income. This is awesome. And Boaz isn't sending a letter or sending his delegates. Delegates, he's there doing it. He's on the ground with the harvesters, like in their world. Like, hey guys, good job. Can I just tell you how weird that is that we don't do that today? We're not in one another's lives. And Boaz is like, I just want to go. I want to check on him. I'm so grateful. We're getting ready to have a celebration. And then it goes on and it says, look at this. He goes on and he says, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters. Or his servant in charge. Of, Whose young woman is this? He sees Ruth working her tail off. And he hasn't hired her. <laughs> and he's like, who in the world works that hard and they're not even getting paid? That makes no sense. Who is this woman? It goes on and it says this. The servant answered, she is a young Moabite. She's a Moabite. Before you get any ideas, she's a Moabite. Then it says, who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, she asked. Can you imagine, you're the boss, and you're like, what's this woman doing in my field? Oh, no, no, she asked. Which means these harvesters said yes on behalf of their master, knowing Boaz's heart and character, that he would want them to say, yes, you go ahead. This is a picture of the gospel when Jesus talks about the harvesters in the New Testament. This is the picture God wants us to have of how people are supposed to work. And then he goes on, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? Ruth is literally picking up little pieces, round pieces of grain and little bundles on the ground. She's not even going around the edge for the gleanings. When she had every legal right to go around the edges for the gleanings and she's getting the stuff off the ground because she's like, I'm not as bad as they are maybe. I don't want them to accuse me that I, I'm taking anything. I'll get the stuff I know that they're just trampling on that they don't want. They might still harm. She may not have known the law. She was a Moabite. She didn't know everything. Maybe she didn't know she could take from the gleanings. And she's just like, I don't want to take what's not mine. But this stuff on the ground, can I take that? Well, yeah, we're not picking that up. She's going and she's picking up little pieces off the ground. And it says, she came and has remained from early morning until now, except as she rested a little in the shelter. She's working her tail off. She, she's given her all. I've never, I've not seen a woman like this. This is incredible. She's not complained. She's not asked for anything. She has worked until she got so tired she had to get out of the sun and go sit in the shade for a little bit and then went right back at it. There's a story in the New Testament that Jesus shares in Matthew 15. 
summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. In other words, it's not about all the laws and the rules that come. It's about what your heart is, he says. And here's what he says. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is currently tormented by a demon. Yet he did not say a word to her. He didn't even speak to her. So so his disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she cries out after us. We, we don't want to look at her. We don't want to hear her. Look at this. It says this. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt down before him, knelt down before him. You'll see this in a minute. And said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. How, how, what would you think if a man called you a dog? You, you done listening to him? You done believing in him? You're walking away? Like, how dare you? I'll show you, buddy. Call me a dog. I'll show you what a dog does. Dog bites. <laughs> Look at this. Yes, Lord, she said. Ruth is picking up the scraps. This woman is like, look, I got nothing left. I'll take whatever scraps. I don't care what you say, what you call me. It doesn't matter. I'm desperate. And she says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She calls him master. I'll take whatever you have because whatever they've got around here is nothing compared to you. And none of them can help me or help my daughter. But maybe you can. It goes on, it says, look at this. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. The disciples are saying, get rid of her. And Jesus is like, (laughs) her heart was more for me than you guys were. You guys think you're proud, you're good, I'm with Jesus. This woman just wants to barely eat a scrap. That's faith. That's what I've been trying to teach you guys that have been following me and you don't get it. That's faith. Ruth is the person of faith, incredible faith. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. Boaz doesn't say, hey, baby, you come to my house. That's not what he says. Boaz is not trying to hit on her. He calls her daughter. He's saying, look, I want to be sure you're taken care of. He knows he's of Elimelech's family. And so he wants to be sure that he does the right thing by his family. So he's like, hey, you stay in this field. I'll be sure you're taken care of, which is a beautiful picture. And then he says, hang out with the female servants. In other words, males and females. You hang out with the males, you're going to be tempted. to. They're going to just, just, yeah. And then it goes on. It says, see which field they're harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? He's already ordered his servants. His heart, he says, you touch her, you're dead. Do not touch her. She's let her be. She's already been humbled enough. She's given her life to Naomi. Let her be. He goes on and he says, when you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Many scholars believe these were the waters of Bethlehem that David longed for that he write about in the Old Testament, that these these jars were filled with the well that David longed to drink from when he was traveling. She's drinking from this well, and it says, look at this. She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, why are you so kind? What does she do that's similar to the Canaanite woman? What's her posture? Well, I'm glad you finally noticed me. I've been trying to get your attention. Wore a little short skirt, put some stuff on. But trying to work hard so you'd notice. Glad you saw me, Boaz. It's not what she does. She bows. She goes before him like, I'm, I'm, nothing. I'm, I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. I got, I got nothing to offer you. I, 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 I'm just grateful that I have food that I could feed Naomi. Why, why are you so kind to notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Look at what James 4 says. It says this. And it says it numerous times in the Bible. This is just one of the references. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, Boaz sees a humble woman, a woman that didn't demand anything, that she had rights as a foreigner and didn't demand them. She just served. 
She was willing to risk her life to go out in the fields where she could be raped or pillaged or anything happened to her. She was willing to still do it to provide for this bitter old woman she was taking care of. Can we be honest real quick? That's not your heart and my heart most of the time. And it's sad because that was our Savior's heart when he came to this earth. He gave up every right to deity so that he could die as a human on our behalf. It goes on and he says, follow them. Look at this. He says, be sure to follow them. In other words, I'm asking you to obey me now. Follow them. Follow them. Go behind them. It goes on. It says this. Boaz answered, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully, look at this, has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you've done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Remember Jesus said when he looked at Jerusalem and wept over it, he said, oh, that I wish I could gather you under my wings as as a hen gathers her chicks, but you will not be gathered. And he wept over the city. And here, Ruth is like, I'm willing to come under. I'm I'm willing to submit. I'm just grateful to have food. I'm I'm grateful to not be with the Moabites. They don't even let people steal the grain. They kill people for that. This God at least has mercy. And he goes on and he says, my Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me for you've comforted and encouraged your slave, although I'm not like one of your female servants. She says, I'm your slave, even though I'm not paid. I'm willing to serve. If we had this mentality among the body of Christ and in the church, there'd probably be more people that'd be more excited about seeing God and who he is. But our problem is we're so consumed with ourselves, we won't live this kind of life where we give ourselves to one another. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. Remember, they're celebrating the barley harvest. This is the celebration moment. They're like, we get, God has provided the famines over. So she sat beside the harvesters and offered her roasted grain. Remember we read about the roasted grain in Leviticus 23 that you couldn't eat the roasted grain until the wave offering was made and now there's the roasted grain and this is a celebration and then this awesome and then it says she ate and was satisfied and look at this, she had some left over. Anybody want to take a guess without reading further on why she's keeping some left over? Give to Naomi. She's been working her tail off. Naomi's sitting at home bitter. And she's still thinking about being sure she holds to her commitment that she made to her and being faithful to it. And she could probably eat all of it, I'm sure, from the work that she put in. When she got up to gather grain, she got up again. She's already gathered. Now she's like, but I got got to gather some more. She got up to gather grain. Boaz ordered his young men Let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Be kind to her. If she wants to get it out of the bundles, I've given her permission. It's fine. Pull some, look at this, pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. (laughs) In other words, he's like, but she probably won't go to do it. She won't take it because she's such a person of character. She's not going to take it from the bundles. So I'm going to have to have you help her. Just kind of pull them out and be like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, I'm sorry. Look, I dropped that. Like, that's what he tells them to do. He's so impressed with her work ethic and who she is. And then it says, he goes on, he says, don't rebuke her. Don't rebuke her. Don't tell her she's doing anything wrong because she's not. She's doing a righteous, righteous thing. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening, until dark. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. That's quite a bit. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to Naomi. Naomi, I know you don't want to celebrate. I know you're depressed and bitter. I know you know Leviticus 23 and that we get to roast grain after the celebration and that we say thank you, God, for the harvest. But but would you celebrate with me? I saved some for you to, to say thank you to God. As he provided. Goes on and it says, look at this. Where did you gather the barley today? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today was Boaz. 
See, Ruth was amazed. She's like, this doesn't happen. We live in a culture where this is very abnormal. Who let you do this? You got 26 quarts. It's like a cart full. Did you steal this? I'm sure Naomi's like, did you like, do you, I know you're from Moab. Do you understand the rules? Are we going to have people knocking on our door being like, she came in and took everything? Like, oh, I didn't know. I'm just from Moab. I thought that's what you did. That's what we do there. We just steal stuff. Like, this is a beautiful picture. Goes on and it says, then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. We'll look at this next week. But see, in the Old Testament, you could redeem people. You could buy them back from their bondage and slavery. And there was a family process to do that in the Old Testament so that you had to humble yourself between your family members. And there was a process that could be legally talked about so you knew you were doing the right thing and they knew they were doing the right thing so that you guys could work together as a community to honor God. That's exactly what Naomi realizes in this minute. She, she wakes up and she goes, wait a minute. He could be a family redeemer. He could save us. It goes on. It says, stay with my young men. Ruth said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. Say, no, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is, not, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. I love this. She looks at her and she says, look, you're not going to find another guy like this. I grew up here. I'm from here. I'm from these parts. You're not going to find a guy that this, that's righteous like this. He, this is amazing. He is an amazing man. That, you stay with him. Don't try to go to another field. Trust him. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants. She obeyed him. She didn't go where she wanted. And gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest. That means the wheat harvest that comes later. So she's still gleaning all this time. Weeks and weeks and weeks. She's, duped. she's working and gleaning. We're finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. She chose to live with her mother-in-law. Can I just encourage you as we wrap up? This is a beautiful picture of God sending redeemers. He sends Ruth. He sends Boaz. He sends people into our lives to call us back to a right relationship with him. Sometimes those people are judges. Sometimes those people are Boazes and they're kind redeemers. We need both. God uses both. And in this moment, this is a beautiful picture because I want you to get the picture of what's going on right now. This is a time period where women were despised. And what God is doing through this is absolutely amazing because when you read the lineages of Christ, it is nothing but God taking broken women and using them to bring his Savior into the world. Do you know who Boaz's great great-grandmother, we think, we're not sure exactly, was? Rahab, the harlot of Jericho. The woman who hid the Israelite spies when they went into the promised land and went into the Jericho and the, the spies went to the prostitute's house and she said, my God will be your God. I will commit to him. I will hide you because I believe your God will win. I believe your God is the real God. And Rahab, who was treated like a prostitute and a harlot by her own people, said, I believe your God will redeem me. Boaz is Rahab's great, great grandson. And that's in the lineage of Christ. Boaz is mentioned in Matthew and Luke. When you look back of where everybody came from, Boaz's name is in both lineages of how Jesus came into the world. And not only do you have Rahab, but now you have Ruth, the Moabitess. Two foreign women, not Israelites. Two foreign women that were adopted into God's family brought the salvation and the Savior of the world into existence for us because they did simple things. They hid spies. They gleaned grain. They lived simple lives of obedience and trust in a God when they looked around the world. Instead of going like Orpah did earlier to go back and get everything they could for themselves, they said, I believe that God is who he says he is. And no matter what he gives to me, I surrender to him. That is the picture of this that is incredible. The God... It's been using women like this. It's just amazing the redemptive picture. And most of these women were where they were because of terrible men. 
And God said, would you let me be your husband? Would you let me raise you up? Would you let me restore you? This is a beautiful, beautiful picture. We know that Ruth and Boaz had Obed, who had Jesse, who had King David. And guess who David's line ended up coming through? Bathsheba. Boaz to David to, remember Bathsheba? That was the adulterous woman he called off the top and had an affair with. And it's Bathsheba's kid that God uses to continue the lineage to bring his son into the world. See, God's all about using, you ready for this? Broken people. Broken people who like Ruth and Boaz will look around at their culture and say, I don't care what everybody else wants, I'm serving him. I'm gonna give my life to him, to his church, to his people, and they will be my people, and it doesn't matter what it costs me. My schedule is going to be different. My finances are going to be different. My relationships are going to be different. I will honor him. I'm going to surrender it all because it's real. It's been going on for thousands of years. It hasn't changed. This is absolutely astonishing. You can't make this stuff up. Listen, if you make up stories, you don't put this garbage in your stories. The Quran doesn't put this garbage about Muhammad in their stories. Buddha doesn't write his garbage into his story. The reason we know this is real is because everybody put their mess there. God said, you write the mess because that's the world around you and show them there's hope in me. I can use you. Don't think that you're done with. But you gotta give it up. You can't just need a savior. You gotta be able to bow and say, you're my Lord. I give it all. I surrender So let me ask you, we've seen who Ruth is and Naomi is, we've seen who Boaz is, we've seen who Jesus is this morning. Who are you? Who are you? Are you going to believe the lies that the enemy tells you? Are you going to believe the truth that God tells you that he knows you're a mess, he knows you're a sinner, he knows that you know you're not worth it. And he cries out and he says, but would you let me show you how worth it you really are? Would you let me into your life? Would you let me be your Passover? Would you let me pass over your life? Cover your sin. Forgive you. Would you let me then come in and clean up the leaven and the sin? Would you let me in so that I can heal you? So I can work with you so that the world around you will see who I am? I'm not a God that's just sending judges. I have to do that because there's no other way to get your attention when you're so wicked. That's not what I want. I want a relationship where we do life together, the calendar together, your finances, your heart, everything together. I just tell you, I didn't realize that until I was 18. It was always about a savior. I walked the aisle twice growing up and it was always about getting a savior who would save me from whatever mess I was in. It was never about you are actually the Lord of the universe. I'm done. And finally... My freshman year of college is when I finally fell to my face, like Ruth, on the ground in my dorm room and cried out and said, God, I'm done. Help me like the Canaanite woman. I got nothing left. I'll take the scraps. I don't care. I'm I'm just done. God in his wisdom sent Dave, (laughs) sent a redeemer. Dave called me on the phone and said 30 minutes later, hey, Matt, you filled out a survey. Probably got a free T-shirt. As a freshman in college, And I'm just calling to follow up with you on check that you might want to have a spiritual conversation with someone. God's real. Oh my goodness. He shared with me this kind of relationship that I could have, that Jesus Christ died for me to be my Passover. He would forgive me, that he would restore me. And can I just tell you, it changed me. Do I struggle with sin? Do I still fight? Do I, yes. I do. I still have to go back to Passover. I got to keep letting God do the leaven and clean me out. I got to keep going through the same process. Remember that he's my atonement. Then I got to invite him back in to eat my house and booze. I got to keep doing it because I got to be reminded that this is what life's really about, not what I see out there. And when we do that, there's a beautiful thing that happens. God begins to bring a people together for himself, a Ruth and a Boaz. Let me ask you this morning, do you know the Redeemer of the universe? Do you believe he could buy you back? And let me ask you this question that's a little bit deeper, and that is, are you willing to be a Redeemer for others? Are you willing to give your life 
to be a redeemer. And can I just tell you, it's going to look silly to the culture you live in, whatever culture that is. People are going to call you crazy. Just like they did Ruth, just like they're going to do Boaz. Because it's just like, this doesn't make sense. But it does make sense if you believe in God.